What I'm going to speak on today and for the next two Sundays, I believe is from the Lord, specifically for our church. The Lord has been speaking on this to me in the last one or two months and really stressing on my heart the importance of this subject, of this truth. And I just want to enable us as a church to really take this word as God's word for me. And to take this word seriously in our lives. Because how we listen to this word and how we apply this word in our lives will make the difference to whether we are victorious or whether we are defeated in our Christian life. I'm going to talk about spiritual warfare. Spiritual warfare. And you can turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6. And I want to encourage especially the young people who serve in the church in any capacity to take this word seriously. To take this word with all your heart. Because you're going to experience this word in your life in the days to come. Ephesians chapter 6. Verse 12. But let's read from verse 11. But let's read from verse 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. That word wiles means schemings or plans of the devil. So the Bible says you have an enemy and he's not your neighbor. He's not your other tribe. You have an enemy and his name is the devil. And every moment of his life, he's scheming to bring you down. He's scheming to destroy your life. Verse 12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Another translation says, For we do not fight against human beings. So for the Christian, our enemies are not people. Human beings. Whether they persecute us. Or whether they misunderstand us. But against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. This scripture speaks to us about the reality of spiritual forces called principalities, powers, rulers of the darkness of this age, that are organized and opposed to God and his children, the church. That's a reality that you must come to understand and know. And it is time that our church is establishing this truth. Some years in the past, I had gone to Nepal for a mission trip. And I was a little light in my prayer before the mission trip. So I remember three or four nights before the mission trip started, I began to experience sleepless nights. I was disturbed many times in the middle of the night uh, with dreams and with uh, just as if someone was there in the room or it was almost like it was just fear that was just coming upon me. A heaviness and an oppression. So during the day, I had no peace in my mind or in my heart. You know, just tired, weary, want to sleep again. And again, at night, that same process of being disturbed. So it happened for three or four nights before I actually went to Nepal. But I went to Nepal and even on the journey, you know, I began to experience uh, like discouragement in my heart. It was unnatural because that's not something I normally experience. I'm going to experience anger for um, little things that again was not ordinary for me. But then I went to Nepal, I just ministered. And even as I ministered, I continued to experience this heaviness upon my life, this oppression. It was almost as if a blanket of uh, oppression had come upon me. Couldn't sleep when I was in Nepal, not even uh, just like 30 minutes also, can't sleep. It was like just being disturbed with thoughts, this oppression, 
mixed of emotions like anger and fear and discouragement, wanting to run, wanting to leave the path. So all of this turmoil was going on within me. Well, finally, after two days, a man of God came from another place. And as we were fellowshipping, he prayed for me, laid his hands on me. And as he laid his hands on me, the anointing and the power of God came upon me. I experienced it in a very physical way. And the depression lifted off and I was delivered. And as we began sharing about what was happening, he revealed to me about how the Lord had spoken to him about someone being oppressed and he needs to go and pray because he was coming under spiritual attack. And that was exactly what I had in my mind, in my heart, that I was coming under attack and I need to pray. So that was one of the encounters that I've had in terms of spiritual warfare. The Bible tells us that the devil is real. Demons are real. They exist. And as we become more committed in our walk with the Lord, as we become more zealous for God, as the church begins to do more, I guarantee you we will encounter such incidents. Spiritual warfare is a reality. In fact, scripture is full of references to spiritual warfare. Satan himself came and tempted Jesus in the wilderness after he was baptized. In Matthew chapter 4 verse 1. The Bible says Jesus went into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil for 40 days and 40 nights. Now this devil was not just a figment of the author's imagination. This was not a philosophical demon. It was a real devil in the person and Jesus encountered him and he was victorious over him. In the Gospels we see that Jesus encountered demons on a regular basis. Many times the Bible says he would cast out demons with a word. We can see one instance in Matthew chapter 8 verse 16 and verse 28. Matthew 8 verse 16, when evening had come, they brought to him many who were demon-possessed, and he cast out the spirits with the word and healed all who were sick. Then in Matthew chapter 8 verse 28, he says, when he had come to the other side, to the country of the Gergesinus, there met him two demon-possessed men coming out of the tombs, exceedingly fierce, so that no one could pass that way. And of course, we know what happened in verse 32. Jesus says, go to the demons. So when they had come out of that, of those two people, they went into the herd of swine and suddenly the whole herd of swine ran violently down the steep place into the sea and perished in the water. So demonic confrontations were a regular part of Jesus's ministry. Regular part of his ministry and Jesus treated it as expected. In fact, Jesus was not surprised that there were demons. He treated it as a common occurrence. And even the people, the Jews at that time, were not surprised that demons were manifesting. In fact, even before Jesus came, the rabbinical tradition, the Pharisees were also involved in exorcism. So it was not a surprise for those people that demons exist because they saw him or they saw the manifestations of those people. What was surprising for the people was the authority with which Jesus cast them out. Because they would see the Pharisees would go through days and days of antics and things that they would do to get a little victory. But here Jesus seems to just cast them out with a word. In the Old Testament, when Moses went to Pharaoh, and told Pharaoh that God has sent us to deliver the Israelites and they cast the stick and the stick turned into a snake. The Bible says Pharaoh called for the sorcerers and the magicians of Egypt and they also did the same thing. They replicated the same miracle that Moses did. Except that Moses' snake ate all the other snakes. So demonic manifestations, spiritual confrontations were there in the old and even in the new. And we can see here in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, 
In verse 14, Paul says, Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. Flee from idolatry. Now, for the sake of time, I'm just going to go on to verse 20. Let's read verse 19. What am I saying then? That an idol is anything or what is offered to idols is anything? In fact, what Paul is saying here is that idols are not just uh, images of wood and stone and metal that we make. Look at verse 20. Rather, that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons. Wait a minute. I thought they sacrificed to images of stone and wood. Yes, they do. To images of stone and wood. They don't know that they are sacrificing to demons. Because if they knew, they would stop. In their mind, they think that they are sacrificing to gods. But here, Paul says, the things which they sacrifice to idols, they are sacrificing to demons and not to God. And I do not want you to have fellowship with demons. So what is behind spiritual warfare is basically demons. Demons are known as messengers of Satan in the scripture. Mm. Amen. <laughs> First Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. Now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. So they are smart. They are creating doctrines right now. To deceive even the elect, the Bible says. To deceive even Christians. Amen. So they are a reality. The all talks about them. The Gospels receive confrontation with Jesus. And in the New Testament epistles, Paul talks about demons. And in fact, he says, in the last days, demonic activity will increase and cover the entire earth. And today, if you will do research through Christian research institutes and other organizations like that, we'll find out that there is a rise worldwide, particularly more so in the last 15 years, in the occult around the world. Occult. What is occult? Occult is simply black magic, witchcraft. And there is a rise in the occult, not just people hiding in the jungle and doing something, but right there in our living rooms. What is that? Chris Angel is occultic. It's not entertainment. Amen. The magic shows that you see on TV, they're not from the Lord. Amen. There is an occultic power behind those. Games, video games such as Dungeons and Dragons. There's an occultic power behind those. The Ouija board. We used to do this when we were in school. You know, put your finger on a coin and light some candles. I mean, I'm so grateful God delivered me out of those things. We do it to play, but those are entry points for demons to come and harass our lives. And those are increasing right now. You can go to a toy store and buy occultic games you can buy books on how to cast spells today go to any bookstore in india in the metros and you will find that they have an entire section on the occult and witchcraft how to cast spells it's increasing new age groups which is just hinduism in a new bottle okay eastern Religion in a new bottle, which come and teach, talk, talk about meditation, holistic religion, alternative religion, tantric healing, yoga, wholeness techniques, art of living. All of that are just deceptive fronts for demonic activity. The rise of cults, not just Christian cults, but even other cults like Sai Baba and all of those. Those are demonic activities, deceptive teachings. The rise of homosexuality around the world. That's demonic activity. The rise of abortion. Not only around the world, even here in Ireland. That's motivated 
that's influenced by the enemy. The rise of violence around the world. You see the increase of demonic activity. Now, what we have what we call overt activity. Overt activity is what we can see, what we can recognize immediately. Like a satanic church. And there's many authors in America, they testify about how they meet satanists who are praying and fasting for the church to fall. Certain churches, certain men of God to fall. So that is overt activity. You know, you go on the internet, you press satanic church, you will find hundreds of satanic churches around the world today. So that's overt activity, which can be seen and recognized. And then there is covert activity, which we cannot see. For example, we all know that there are a lot of Pakistanis in India, known as the ISI. But we don't know who they are, right? They are in hiding. They conceal themselves, but their results are seen. So which is what we call covert activity. One strategy of the Satan is to make people think that he does not exist. To make people think that, oh, this is just a figment of your imagination. This is just extreme people taking extreme Christianity to an extreme level. Satan doesn't exist. And when we think that he does not exist, he can work behind the scenes. So that's what we mean by covert activity. So the truth is, we are in a war. You are in a war, whether you like it or not. And whether you know it or not, you are in a war. Wait a minute, Jesus did not recruit me. Wait a minute, I didn't know about it. Too late. You are in a war, whether you know it or not, whether you like it or not. You see, human scientific rationalism, and that's what you get a lot in the universities, especially when you study in BA and uh, you, know, you go through science and you go through all your um, human institutions. You know, when you start talking about angels and demons in those places, they will regard you as a fool. Because now, in a humanistic education, we want to rationalize and find an explanation for everything that occurs. And human beings have advanced to such a level in science and education and other, other, other fields that we almost feel like we are gone. We can change our own destinies. That we don't have to believe anymore in angels and demons. Those are all wise fables. Those are old, uh, you know, traditional ways of thinking. So many times our exposure to that form of education could have made us skeptical about the existence of angels and demons. But as good believers, we see in the Bible that angels and demons are there. So we mentally agree that angels and demons are there, but in our heart, the seriousness with which we take this and that belief is not there. So even though we agree that the Bible is true, we ignore teachings like spiritual warfare. We ignore teachings about angels and the spiritual realm. Because we're just comfortable with God on Sundays and everything else, we'll just do it in our own strength, in our own ability, in our own wisdom. But the truth is there is a war going on and it involves the eternal destinies of people and God's purposes on this earth. And in fact, this war begins from the moment you are born, not born again, from the moment you enter into this world. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4, the Bible says, Whose minds the God of this age has blinded, the God of this age, small g, not big g, small g, referring to Satan. He's referred to as the ruler of this age. So the God of this age has blinded the minds of those who do not believe. Lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. See, for a long reason why we don't know the gospel and why we didn't give our life to Christ was because Satan was blinding us. We did not know it was him. How did he do it? To cleverly crafted arguments and belief systems 
that have been entrenched in societies and cultures all these years. Hmm. So people who do not believe in Christ yet, it's not just about convincing them. No, there is a spiritual blindness that has come upon them because the God of this age has blinded them. And that's why spiritual warfare is so essential to evangelism, so essential to getting people saved. So from the moment you are born, you are in a battle. But when you get born again, you become a believer, especially a believer who is on fire for God, especially a believer who wants to do great things for the Lord, guess what? That battle is going to intensify. Have you ever heard someone say, maybe it was you? I don't know, Pastor. After I got born again and spirit-filled and I was witnessing, so many problems started in my life. So many disturbances. The moment I started getting serious for God, it seemed like all the problems from the past just came up at the same time. Have you experienced that? And if you don't know the truth, we will get angry at God. We will think, Lord, I'm serving you. Lord, I'm hungry for you. I love you. And suddenly all these problems happening in my life. And then we develop a bitterness towards God. If you don't know that, it wasn't him. It is Satan wanting to oppose. To take away that zeal in you, that fire in you. So that you don't become a witness. You don't go and get soul saved. Amen. You get spirit filled. Moving in the gifts of the spirit. And probably he'll send someone, a good meaning Christian brother who will say, gifts of the spirit are not for us anymore. Praying tongues of the devil. Anyone heard that? That's from the devil. Amen. And you think that it's just a mental war with our brothers and our sisters. Oh, they just don't understand. No, there's more than that. There's a spiritual warfare going on. Amen. But our, our fight is not against our brothers and sisters or those who don't understand. It's against those spirits who influence them, I mean unknowingly. Amen. So in a war, to be ignorant is to be defeated. To be hiding on running is to be defeated. In a war, soldiers who are simply standing around or hiding from the reality of war will be defeated or killed. I mean, if war happens between India and Pakistan today, if soldiers in the battlefield, they complain, why is there war? Why are we here in the front? They'll get killed. Amen. So just know that we are in a war. There's no need to complain about it. There's no need to be ignorant about it or run away from it or say, Lord, I don't like the devil, but I don't want to be in a war either. I just want to be neutral. There's no neutrality in Christianity. Amen. There is no neutrality. You're either in the devil's camp or in God's camp. Now you can be a believer and still be in bondage to your enemy. Amen. Because if he can't stop you from giving your life to Christ, he will stop you from fulfilling God's purposes on the earth. Amen. So the only way to be successful is to be equipped and to fight. And when we do, we will win. There is no question about it. We will win. Why? Because the battle is already won. Jesus has already defeated him. Our part is simply to enforce the victory of Christ. Amen. Now let's take a look at the roots of this conflict. For today, I'm going to speak about the roots of this conflict. Next time, I'm going to speak about Satan and his strategies, his schemings. And I want to tell you, don't miss this series at all. The roots of the conflict. Turn to Ezekiel chapter 28, from verse 12 onwards. These are scriptures that... Describe Lucifer, Satan. 
You were the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. The biblical evidence says that Lucifer was one of those majestic beings known as cherubs or archangels who were guardians of the throne of God. And the roots of this conflict is an event which took place in heaven and which involved God and Lucifer before the Garden of Eden. Verse 13. You were in Eden, the Garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering, the sardius, topaz, and diamond, beryl, onyx, and jasper, sapphire, turquoise, and emerald with gold. The workmanship of your timbrels and pipes was prepared for you on the day you were created. So Lucifer was created full of wisdom, perfect in beauty, was created even with musical instruments in him. And some people, authors say uh, some that he was even the worship leader in heaven. You are the anointed cherub who covers. I establish you. You are on the holy mountain of God. You walk back and forth in the midst of fiery stones. You were perfect in your ways from the day you were created till iniquity was found in you. How? Verse 16. By the abundance of your trading, that word trading in the King James is merchandise. And what it really means, taking advantage of your position. In other words, God had lifted him up to a high position. Instead of being humble there, he began to take advantage of it. You became filled with violence within and you sinned. Therefore, I cast you as a profane thing out of the mountain of God. And I destroyed you, O covering cherub, from the midst of the fire stones. Amen. Look at Isaiah 14. Isaiah 14 verse 12. How you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. How you are cut down to the ground, you who weakened the nations. For you have said in your heart. Now, the Bible says that Lucifer was a cherub, an archangel, in the throne room of God. So, Lucifer's soul and knew the glory of God like no one else, closely. But at some point in creation, before the creation of man, Lucifer allowed jealousy of God and his glory to possess him till he had an insatiable desire in his heart to be like God and to take his place. He was a guardian of the glory of God, the throne of God, and yet, because he saw it, a desire came in his heart to have the same glory as God. To have the same worship as God. And it brought iniquity in his heart. And then when, that's when he says, the five I wills that you must see here from verse 13 onwards. For you have said in your heart, number one, I will ascend into heaven. I will. He was not satisfied in the position that God had given to him. He was dissatisfied at his position and he wanted more than what God had given to him. So he let pride come into his heart and he thought he could take more. So number one, he says, I will ascend into heaven. He wants to enter the realm reserved exclusively for God. Number two, I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. The stars of God are the archangels. In Job 38 verse 7, the Bible says, The morning stars sing and the sons of God shout for joy. The morning stars, Gabriel, Michael, these are archangels. He was created as one of them. They're all the same. They are peers. But he says, I will raise my throne above the stars of God. He had an unholy ambition to be above his peers. Competitive spirit. I'm better than Michael, the archangel. I want to go up higher than him. A competitive spirit comes out of pride. Amen. Number three. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation or the mount of the assembly. What is that? That is Christ's position. In Revelations we see Christ seated on the throne and the assembly, the congregation worshipping him. He wanted to challenge Christ for the position of authority. 
Number four, I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. What are clouds? Clouds are symbols of God's glory. In the Old Testament, the Israelites were led by a cloud of fire by night, right? And a cloud by day, referring to the glory of God. He says, I want to take the glory of God. I want to go up to that same place. Seek the glory occupied by God. And the last I will, I will be like the Most High. Make myself like the Most High. He wanted to be a God like Jehovah. However, since Lucifer himself is a created being, he cannot rise to a level higher than what he was created for. And because of his sin and rebellion, he was cast down. He was expelled. He was destroyed. Luke 10 verse 18, Jesus says, I saw Satan fall like lightning from the sky. So it wasn't even a war. You know, sometimes you have this picture like they fought for a long time. And Jesus himself was fighting, God was fighting at the angels. No, it wasn't a war at all. It was, he fell, that's it. Amen. When we try to be like God in our own pride, in our own zeal, we end up being the opposite of what we want to be. And Lucifer, in trying to be like God, became the opposite of God. He became the personification of evil. He's all the opposite of God. Amen. Even in our own Christian life, how can I be like Jesus? By dying to self. Not by trying in my own pride, Monzi, but dying to my flesh, dying to myself. That's when His glory and His image transforms me. Amen. So what happens now? Lucifer has been cast down, expelled from heaven. But after his fall, Lucifer sees that God is creating another order of beings. Turn to Genesis chapter 1. God is creating another order of beings. Genesis 1, 26 and 27. God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion or rule over the fish of the sea over the birds of the air and over the cattle, over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. And God blessed them, the Bible says. Hallelujah. So after his fall, Lucifer sees that God is creating another order of beings, human beings, Adam and Eve. And God is giving them His image. Adam and Eve now carry the image of God. Man is created to carry the glory of God in their life. To be like God. Amen. So when Lucifer sees that, he's more angry now. Why? Because that's the same thing he wanted. That's the same thing he wanted to be. He wanted to be like God. He could not be. He was cast down. Now God sees that he sees that God is making another order of beings who will carry his image. He wanted to be in an elevated, lifted up position. But now he sees that man has been lifted up. Psalms 8 verse 5 says, For you have made him a little lower than Elohim. Now in your Bible, it will be translated as angels. But that word angels is not an accurate translation. It's the word Elohim in the Hebrew. Which means it's the name of God. Elohim. God. Amen. So God created man a little lower than him. But higher than angels. In rank. In the spiritual order. And now Lucifer is more jealous. Why? That's the exact position he wanted to be in. That's where he wanted to be. Not only that, man is created to carry the glory of God. The Bible says that you and I, 
are created for His glory. That means we will carry the glory of God. Amen. When we are born again, the glory of God is in us. In the last days, when Christ comes and we are resurrected from our death, or when we receive our resurrected body, it will be the glory of God seen on us. Romans 9 verse 23, Romans 8 verse 30 says, We will be glorified. His glory will rest upon us. And God's glory rested on Adam and Eve. The glory of God was their clothing. It was the dress. But when they sinned, what happened? They fell short of the glory of God and they began to see that they were naked. And that's when they began to cover themselves with fig leaves. But the glory of God was their dressing. Adam glowed. Did you know that? In the garden, he glowed. Why? The glory of God. Amen. So Satan, to break the union between God and man, because as long as Adam was in union with God, Adam was above him. Adam could defeat him. So the only way he could break the union between God and man is to bring sin. To cause Adam to rebel against God. Why? Because that's the same thing he did. And he knows if you do that, you will fall. Amen. Did you see that? He can't attack Adam directly. Why? Adam would defeat him. Because Adam carried the glory of God. Amen. So the only way he can get Adam to fall is to cause Adam to rebel in the same way that Lucifer did. And so what does it do? If you eat this fruit, you will be like God. Why? He wanted to be like God too and he fell. So let me just make Adam be, want to be like God too. So he came and deceived Adam, caused them to eat of the fruit of the tree that God had told them not to eat of. And by that sin that brought into their life, it diverted them from reflecting God's glory. And the Bible says, for all men have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Amen. So Adam and Eve could not achieve the potential for which God created them for. And Adam's sin delivered into Satan's hand the position God had given to Adam. That's why in Luke chapter 4, verse 6 and 7, when Satan is tempting Jesus in the wilderness, turn them. Let me show that to you. Because your Bible must make sense. And all this will tie up the pieces of the story. Luke chapter 4, verse 6. And the devil said to Jesus, All this authority I will give you, and their glory, for this has been delivered to me, and I give it to whomever I wish. Wait a minute. God did not give Satan the authority to rule on the earth. Whom did God give the authority? To Adam. Genesis 1 verse 26. Have dominion, authority over the earth. So God gave Adam delegated authority. But because Adam fell, he submitted to the devil. He handed the authority to, to Satan and Satan came and took it by deception. And now he says, all his authority is mine for it has been delivered to me. And I can give it to whomever I wish. It was a real temptation. It was not just a story. A real temptation for Jesus. Look at verse 7. Therefore, if you will worship me, all will be yours. See, Satan wants to be worshipped like God. Amen. So what happened? Because of Adam's sin, Satan became the ruler of this world. And now his desire is to have God's children worship him and steal the glory that God deserves. And so he created false religion. Why? Because false religion by worshiping idols are worshiping him. 
Don't you see that? Amen. And the Bible says the Antichrist, who is the personification, the human personification of Lucifer, the Antichrist, in the last days he will come and he will proclaim himself as king in the temple, Solomon's temple. And he will ask the world to worship him in that place. Why? Because he knows that was the place on the earth where God's glory was there and people worshipped. He wants to come to that place and get worship. So he will declare himself as God in Jerusalem. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 verse 4 says that. The abomination of desolation in the holy place will declare himself as God. This happened in AD 17 when the Roman general that had come and conquered Jerusalem declared himself as God in that place. I will continue. It happened in the last days. So Satan knows he cannot deprive God of his glory in heaven. So the only thing he can do is keep God from having his rightful glory in the earth. And how does he do it? Number one, he will deceive people about God's true character. God's a God of love. He deceives us into thinking, he hates me. He hates you. He hates me because I sin. Number two, he will stop you from finding out the purpose why he created you. That means he will stop you from finding God, from giving your life to Jesus, from being born again. He will stop you through deception. But if you have found God and now you begin to seek God, he will attack you to stop you in your spiritual growth, to stop you in your zeal for God, to stop you in winning souls, to stop the church from growing. And how will he do it? Bringing attacks, discouragement, attacking finances, health. Even doing church services. And that's why young people, we need to grow. Take your faith seriously. Amen. Satan's jealousy of God provides motivation for him in this eternal war. Jealousy is one of the strongest emotions. If it is unchecked, it passes through three stages. Let's look at that. Hopefully you're not in any of these stages. Number one, we see what someone else has and we want it. Now, for example, if Zulu has a car and I look at the car and I say, well, that's nice. I also want a car. So I pray for a car. That's all right. That's not wrong. But if I want the same car that Zulu has, that's jealousy. If I want the same house here, the same land, the same wife, that's jealousy. Number two, we realize that the object of our jealousy can never be ours. So we hate the other person for having what we can never have. So jealousy turns to hate because that person is enjoying what you don't have. Number three, that hate leads us to deprive the other of what he has. And that's the stage where Lucifer is in. His intention is to deprive God of his glory and to keep us human beings and Christians from participating in it and receiving it. Are you following this? But what does God say in Genesis chapter 3 after Adam fell? Let's go turn there. Well, this is a very key statement. Genesis chapter 3 verse 15. Look at verse 14. So the Lord said to the serpent, because you have done this, caused deception to come to Adam and Eve, you are cursed more than all cattle and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. Her seed is in capital letters, S-E-E-D, one seed. Not seeds. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. So from the Garden of Eden, God declares a prophecy and he says, there will be enmity between you and the woman and between your seed, Lucifer, and her seed. 
So from the very beginning, God prophesies that even though the authority that I gave to Adam has been delivered to Lucifer, there will come a seed, the second Adam, Jesus Christ, from the woman, who will, on the cross, pay the price for our sins, fully obey God as a second Adam in the flesh, destroy the power of Satan, of death and hell, and take back the authority that Adam lost and give it back to the church. Amen. So there, God prophesied the ultimate end of Satan. You're going to be defeated. Amen. So what does Satan do? So from that moment on, he's watching for that seed to come. And you will see from Genesis all the way to the Gospels, it's a history of war between the seed of Satan and the seed of God. Because every time someone comes who Satan thinks could be that seed, he's attacking that person. Amen. So Satan now tries to corrupt the human blood, corrupt the human race by bringing forth this Nephilim, and the Bible says the hollow man became increasingly wicked. And God saw the earth, and his heart was discouraged and said, Why did they create man? And the Bible says God wanted to destroy man from the earth. But he found only one man who was perfect in his ways Noah. Amen. Noah. So, what did God do? He preserved Noah through the ark, but he destroyed everyone else. This was not a judgment to destroy, mind you. This was an act to preserve humanity. Why? Because humanity was getting corrupted by wrong blood. <coughs> Nephilim, giants. Because the seed is progressing. God brings forth Abraham, who had a son called Isaac, but there was a son before that called Ishmael. And Satan brings forth enmity between these two. Isaac has two sons, Jacob and Esau. Enmity between the two. Esau and Ishmael are the fathers of the Arab nations. Isaac is the father of the Israelite nation, Jacob. And guess what? They're still at war. Amen. All through scripture we see this. Every time an anointed man comes, Satan wants to attack. David is anointed. Saul wants to kill David. Why David, from David will come the seed. Even at the time when Moses was born as a deliverer of Israel, Pharaoh wants to kill all the male babies in Egypt. Amen. We see that go on till when Jesus is born, Satan works on Herod's heart and Herod wants to kill every baby below two years old. But every time, God has a way out. So he sees the end from the beginning. Amen. In the New Testament itself, Paul says, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 17, verse 7, a messenger of Satan came to buffet me with a thorn in the flesh. He says in 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 18, I desired to come to you, but Satan hindered me. Satan hindered him. So if Satan cannot stop Paul from accepting Christ, Satan can definitely try to stop Paul from preaching the gospel. And because of all the face-to-face -face encounters he had had with the enemy, through all the beatings, through all the stonings in his life, Paul has a revelation of Satan and his kingdom. And he writes about principalities and powers and might and dominion. Because he has a revelation of Satan now. Hallelujah. Amen. But there's good news. Because today when we preach spiritual power warfare, we don't do it in the sense of the warfare is still continuing. Or we don't do it in the sense of good and evil as equal opposites fighting. But today, when we preach and teach on spiritual warfare,
We teach from the standpoint of redemption, from the cross. Because the prophecy of Genesis 3 verse 15 has been fulfilled on the cross. When the seed, the second Adam, Christ came, hallelujah, in the flesh, he fulfilled totally God's commandments and God's laws. Hallelujah. He obeyed God successfully and he died for us on the cross, his blood as a payment for our sins. And because he died as a righteous lamb of God, death could not hold him, sin could not hold him, Satan could not keep him. He rose victorious. And as he says, the keys of Hades has been handed over to me. I mean, he took back the authority from Satan, the keys of death, hell, and the grave. Won back the authority that Adam lost in the garden. And today, we teach and we preach and we practice from this standpoint of victory that Christ has already won. If you have been blessed through this podcast, we invite you to partner with us in sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ from Nagaland to the nations. We make all our series available for free, but it does cost us time, effort, and money to do it. So the support of people such as you will enable us to reach more people in more regions. Remember, when you give, the Word of God says in 2 Corinthians 9.8 that God is able to make all grace abound towards you. And you, always having all sufficiency, all things, may have an abundance of every good work. If you would like to support our media ministry on a monthly basis or through a one-time gift, kindly write to us at faithharvestnagaland at gmail.com and visit our website www.faithharvest.in and you can go to the giving section. You can also give through this UPI ID 700-568-4533 at Paytm. God bless you and thank you so much for your generosity.